Well, again, we just want to welcome you to worship, whether you're worshiping with us here in the room or you're watching this on video. We're so glad that you joined us for worship. So we're in the middle of this series that we're calling the Original Christmas Playlist. And the heart behind this series is that there are four songs that are in Luke chapters one and two, where we get kind of our core Christmas gospel from. And there's these four songs by four different people that really communicate who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, do you have a favorite Christmas playlist? You know, maybe you've got it rocking in your car. Maybe you tune into, you know, what is it, Cool 108? That's like Christmas songs 24-7. Do you have some of those songs that you have to hear every year? Or maybe you're a little bit more like Pastor Jason, who basically told us last week that he's a Christmas Grinch and, you know, doesn't like Christmas music at all. To which I would say, if you have a favorite Christmas playlist, why don't you make a mixtape or a mix CD and just, you know, shove it in the mail, send it to Jason here at church. I think he would really appreciate that. No, but this is such a, a great series as we get prepared for what happens on Christmas, as we start to internalize what does it mean for us? Why did Jesus come? You know, what does it mean for us today? And so last week we talked about this song that Elizabeth, who is Mary, the mother of Jesus's cousin, sang. And today I want to talk about a song that's sung by Mary herself. But have you ever noticed that when you go to a museum or you go to a cathedral and there's a painting or a sculpture or a stained glass window where Mary is portrayed, that it's almost always this very peaceful, calm, serene scene? Like everything is just perfect, you know, it's kind of just silent night personified. Or maybe you have a nativity set at home and you set it out every year. And again, it's always just perfect and flawless. But you know, when you think about it, that Christmas night, I mean, Mary is giving birth in a barn full of animals. I mean, is there anything less peaceful and easy and serene? You know, th one of the things I love about the Bible is how real it is. How when we read through the Bible, we get everything. We get the flaws of each character. We see mistakes get made. We see messes all over the place. You know, if somebody was gonna invent a religion and they were gonna put together their holy book, I'm pretty sure most people would not choose to do it like the Bible, right? But the Bible is honest about all the struggles, all of the messes, all of the mistakes. And so Mary's story is so much richer and so much more raw than so many of the portrayals we see in artwork and churches and museums and nativity sets. You know, even when the angel first appeared to Mary, it was anything but peaceful, easy, and calm. In fact, in that first encounter, Scripture says Mary was greatly troubled. Mary was greatly troubled. To which we might say, well, of course, if an angel shows up in our house, we're probably going to be somewhat troubled. But add on to that that Mary was a teenager. Right? And Mary, this teenager, you know, all she wants to do is listen to the newest Taylor Swift album or, you know, kind of dream about who's going to ask her to prom. But now her whole world is turned upside down 
And sometimes I think it's easy for us to miss the seriousness, the gravity of the situation. Because this angel comes and tells Mary that she's going to give birth to a child who's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now again, Mary is a teenager, and in that culture, if you were an unmarried woman who was found to be pregnant, you most likely would be stoned to death by your own father and the other men who lived in the village. Now, add on to that that we're told Mary is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. It was called betrothed back then. It was often a one year or more process. It was kind of a, a, a thing, a challenge for people to show their faithfulness. And oftentimes women were betrothed at age 12. So Mary is engaged to Joseph and it adds even more complications to this news that she finds out. What is he gonna say? What's her own family going to say? What are her in-laws going to say? What is the village going to say? I mean, can you imagine Joseph's reaction? You know, Mary comes to share what happened, and, you know, he's trying to process, how can I believe all this talk about angels and about divine conception? I mean, he'd probably say, Mary, I know how these things work. I've been to junior high health class. Let's get real right now. All of her family and her friends, they would be shamed and they would be disgraced. And so to say Mary was greatly troubled is probably one of the greatest understatements in history. But I think every one of us here can think of a time or two when we have been greatly troubled by something. You know, something's going on in our life, something that we encounter or experience that keeps us up at night. You know, something that we just keep going and replaying it in our head. You know, something that interrupts all the plans and the dreams that we have. Can you think back to a time when you have been greatly troubled? And I think we've all experienced things that aren't the way that we thought they should be. We've all experienced things that don't go to the plan that we have in, the, in our head or the dreams that we've made. You know, think back 10, 20, 30 plus years to when you were in high school and think about the plans you had for your life. Think about the dreams you had, where you thought you would be in the future. And now as you think back through your life, you probably say there were a lot more ups and downs than you anticipated back when you were 17 or 18 years old. We all go through those times where we're greatly troubled. You know, sometimes we can be troubled by new opportunities that are presented to us. You know, maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's a promotion that requires you to move and to leave your friends and family behind. Maybe it's an opportunity to go back to school and try out a new field. Sometimes we can be troubled by new opportunities. I still remember lying awake numerous nights as I was praying through whether we should accept the call to come here to Calvary. You know, we're thinking we gotta sell our house and we've gotta say goodbye to our friends and our kids need to go to a new school. My wife has to find a job. There was some definitely troubling times as we processed what God was calling us to do. 
Now, other times we might be greatly troubled by things that we don't anticipate, things that are completely unexpected. You know, maybe it's losing a loved one suddenly. Maybe it's having a special needs child. Maybe it's financial challenges that come up. Maybe it's health problems that we had never imagined having. Well, Mary was greatly troubled by this news she received from the angel. And she understandably experienced a lot of anxiety and worry. But the thing about Mary is she didn't stay there long. You know, oftentimes we end up getting stuck. We kind of spin our wheels in that anxiety and that worry that can come up within us. But Mary moved on fairly quickly after the angel appeared by verse 38 in Luke chapter 1. Mary's attitude and her outlook completely changes. Mary responds and says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Think of how bold and impressive that statement is. As a teenager, think of that perspective. I mean, the angel had just rocked her world. Mary takes a moment to process and finally, all right, I'm God's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Not, you know, God, could we talk this over? God, is there, a, is there a plan B or a plan C? Or God, you know, maybe you should try three doors down. There's a really nice teenager down there you could talk to. No, instead, Mary moves from anxiety to accepting God's call. Such an amazing step, so impressive for a teenager. Now, acceptance doesn't always happen with enthusiasm, right? You might not always celebrate what you're called to do. You can still wish it would happen another way. You can still mourn what might not be. But acceptance is saying to God, all right, God, you're in control. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna do things your way. And I'm gonna trust that you're gonna work things for good. You see, God simply desires our trust and our obedience, regardless of our enthusiasm. And he understands that oftentimes that journey from anxiety to acceptance contains some hesitation, some struggle, some difficulty, some questioning. You know, for Mary, the angel had just described to her that she was carrying a baby that was not conceived with her husband-to-be Joseph, but instead was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was a part of God's greatest plan in the history of the world. That she would give birth to the Savior of this world. And yet Mary was able to move from anxiety to accepting God's plan. But it probably wasn't that simple right? Because we don't have all the conversations that took place, all the prayers that she, that she had to pray to be able to get from anxiety to acceptance. I mean, how she had to go talk to Joseph, how she had to go talk to her parents and her siblings, how she had to go talk to her future in-laws. I mean, imagine just for a moment how those conversations probably went. The shock, the questions, maybe the judgments 
the name calling. Imagine the whispers and the gossip and all that was said behind her back. But if we're honest, I think we'd probably do the exact same thing, right? If a teenager came and told us something about angels and a divine conception and that's why she's pregnant, we'd probably have pretty much the same reaction to the people around Mary. And I imagine that Mary probably went back and forth between anxiety and acceptance, anxiety and acceptance, because it's a journey and it takes time. So amidst all the chaos of this news, Mary goes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who we talked about last week. And as she arrives at Elizabeth's house, there is this supernatural connection that's made. And it's before Elizabeth even knows anything about Mary's story. Because both of them are miraculously pregnant. Mary as a teenager, but Elizabeth as a woman who's far beyond the age of bearing children. So they have this supernatural connection And Mary is able to share her story with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's able to listen and support her. And then finally, after Mary is sharing her anxiety and her feelings and her struggles, Elizabeth puts it all into proper perspective. And she doesn't lecture Mary, she doesn't judge her, she doesn't guilt her, and she doesn't shame her. Instead, she blesses her She says, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Elizabeth breaks through all of the distractions, all of the disappointments, all of the anxiety, all of the worry, and says, Mary, you need to understand, God has blessed you. And this child of yours is going to bless so many others. And at that moment, everything changes for Mary. Mary suddenly remembers God's faithfulness, how he always comes through for his people. And Mary's anxiety turns into adoration. Mary's anxiety turns into adoration for who God is, And Mary expresses this adoration by breaking into song. It's like a first century musical. She just starts to sing. And this is what she sings. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors 
to Abraham and his children forever. Amazing words. It's often called the Magnificat, which means that it magnifies God, it glorifies God, it praises God for who he is. And these words have been shared ever since, which means it's been at the top of the charts for 2,000 years. So how was Mary able to journey from anxiety to acceptance to adoration? How was she able to travel that distance at such a young age? Well, I think she did two important things that she shows us in that song. The first thing is Mary remembers God's faithfulness in the past. She says, generation to generation, God has been faithful. He's been working again and again in the lives of his people. He's working all things for good. He has a plan and a purpose. She remembers God's faithfulness in the past. How often do we forget to remember God's faithfulness? How often do we forget all the times that he shows up? Especially when things are going well, right? When things are going well in our life, everything seems to be clicking. It's so easy to forget to remember how God is faithful. Well, then number two, Mary recognizes God's faithfulness in the present. She says, he has done great things for me. In this moment of anxiety and questioning, the future is kind of up in the air. She's wondering, how is this all going to play out? She still recognizes that God is faithful in the present, that he's still doing great things for her individually. How often do you stop to recognize God's faithfulness in the present? Maybe it's simply thanking him for a blessing that you take for granted. Maybe it's stopping to remember that he's present with you during that meeting, during that class, during that struggle, during that conversation. How might it change your perspective? How might it even change your outlook if you would stop to recognize God's faithfulness in the present? Well, where she started with anxiety and then moved to acceptance. Mary is now in full-blown adoration. She's singing praises to God for what seemed like at once was an impossible situation now has been turned into something amazing. What seemed like a tragedy is now about to be a story of hope and anticipation. This thing that God called her to do that might at first seem like a burden is now a reason for joy and thanksgiving. And it's all because God's track record is perfect. His faithfulness is never in doubt. In the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 49, God's people are questioning and doubting and feeling sorry for themselves like happens again and again. And they're wondering where God is and what in the world is happening. And God shows up and he says this great little phrase that's so important for every one of us to remember. He says, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. 
It might feel like I'm distant. Things might not be going to plan. All your hopes and dreams might be up in the air, but just remember this one truth. I will never forget you. Your job is to trust. God says my job is to take care of every other detail. Remember your job because I'm gonna do my job. He says, I will never forget you. So again, can you relate to Mary's story? Can you think of a time when all of your plans and your dreams were turned upside down? When God brought a completely different reality into your life than you ever expected or imagined or prepared for? And just like Mary, you were greatly troubled Worry and anxiety took center stage. You kept asking, what if, what if? And you kept thinking, how am I gonna make it through? How in the world am I gonna make it through? You know, maybe that's the story of your life tonight. Maybe anxiety and worry are overwhelming you. Well, none of us wants to stay stuck in a cycle of anxiety and worry. And when we look at Mary's story, there's an important choice that she made that changed everything. I mean, even without all the answers, even without knowing all the outcomes, Mary chose to trust. And it's when she chose to trust that she was able to go from anxiety to acceptance and acceptance to adoration. Now we all know trust is not an easy thing because it's a choice that you have to make day after day. It doesn't guarantee everything's gonna instantly get better. You might still have to deal with feelings of hurt and betrayal and loss and grief. You might have to struggle to really process how something so painful and disappointing can actually eventually become something positive and life-giving. We also all have control issues, don't we? We like to think we've got it figured out or we know best or we can do it ourselves. It's really hard to echo those words that Mary said. And she says, may everything you said about me come true. In Isaiah 28, it says, the one who trusts will never be disappointed. Isn't that amazing? The one who trusts will never be disappointed. When you make the choice to trust in God, then things start to move. And there's a process of change that starts. Jesus says in John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? We all struggle with those troubled feelings, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now again, this is so difficult and hard for us to do, but every single day is a new chance to say, God, I'm gonna trust you. Even when anxiety even when discouragement, even when questions and disappointments try to creep back in. God, today I am gonna trust in you. It was the faithfulness of God that fueled Mary's trust. 
And it's what enabled her to move all the way from anxiety to adoration. And you know what? I believe God is calling every one of us today to follow Mary's lead, to take the time to remember and recognize God's faithfulness, and then to trust in him in the face of whatever challenges or struggles or opportunities we might be facing. Really what this is, this is believing that that thing that keeps you up at night is not the final word. God always has the final word. And his plans are bigger and better than anything we can imagine. I love a story that the author Lee Strobel tells. If you're not familiar with Lee Strobel, he was one of the most celebrated and awarded journalists at the Chicago Tribune for many decades. And he was also a very outspoken atheist. And so in one of his books, he writes about how he had an assignment one Christmas season to go visit a down-and-out family in the poorest part of Chicago. And so he went to meet with this family. There were three people in the family. There was a grandmother, 60 years old, named Perfecta. And she had two granddaughters living with her named Jenny and Lydia, and they were 13 and 11. And initially, they were living in this roach-infested apartment, but it burned down right at the beginning of December. And so now they were all living in a studio apartment, one room. And so Lee went to visit them, and when he walked in, he noticed that there was absolutely nothing in the entire apartment. No beds, no table, no furniture. And the only food they had was one cup of rice. He also noticed and was told that the girls only had one dress apiece, and they were short-sleeved dresses. Remember, this is Chicago in the dead of winter. They had one sweater between the two of them that they had to share. They had to walk a half a mile to school every day, and so they had to share one sweater as they walked to school. But what Lee noticed right away is how much hope this family had and how they kept on talking about Jesus again and again. He said he didn't see any despair, any self-pity. All he saw was hope and peace, and it just rocked him. So he finished writing the story, and then he moved on to other bigger and better assignments. But on that Christmas Eve, he couldn't stop thinking about this family and especially about their unwavering belief in God's faithfulness and God's providence. And so here's his own words. Lee says, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing, nothing but faith, and yet seemed happy, while I had everything that I needed materially, but lacked faith. And inside, I felt as empty and barren as their apartment. So he went on his way to go meet with the family, and then he was blown away by what he saw. Because readers of his article had responded to the family's needs in an overwhelming way. Their apartment was full of donations. New furniture, new appliances, rugs, a large Christmas tree, stacks of presents, bags of food, tons of winter clothing, and even a generous amount of cash. But it wasn't all those gifts that shocked Strobel. It was the family's response to the gifts. So he goes on to write, 
as surprised as I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. Strobel went on to say, that blew me away. If I had been in their position at that time in life, I would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all of these goodies. And again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said, gesturing to all of their gifts. We did nothing to deserve this. This is a gift from God. But, she added, it is not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. That gift is Jesus. Lisa's, to her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything. More than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus. Because in a sense, I saw him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. Because they had peace despite poverty. Well, I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. Something that made me long for what they had or more accurately, for the one that they knew. You see, Perfecta and Mary shared the gift of trust, believing that God's intention for us is not to harm us, but instead to bless us and to give us a great future and a great hope. The journey from anxiety to acceptance to adoration can be so difficult. But this journey begins with just one step of faith. Surrendering control and trusting in God. So my question for each and every one of you is how will you take a step of faith this Advent season? What do you need to trust to his care? Maybe it's something troubling you. Maybe it's something that's giving you anxiety. Maybe it's just life in general. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ before. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a great new opportunity. Maybe it's a calling that you feel from God. You know, I believe God is calling every single one of us to do something. You know, what we say around here is that following Jesus is a growing experience. We're not called to just sit back and coast. God is calling every one of us to do something. 
but it often becomes a question of priorities. It's easy to use busyness, to use everything on our calendar to keep us from actually answering God's call. Because it's easier to do what's familiar than to trust God and to step out in faith. So what is something tangible that you can do this Christmas season to show your faith and your trust? Maybe it's sponsoring a family in need instead of stressing out with whether you're keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe it's joining a small group for the first time. You know, as an introvert, I know how scary it can be to go into a situation where you don't know many people. But maybe God's calling you to trust him and join a group this winter. Maybe it's stepping up to serve, prioritizing others over your own wants and desires. Maybe it's deciding to tithe and put God first with your finances instead of just giving God your leftovers. Or maybe it's inviting someone to come to Christmas service with you, not worrying about what they might say or think if you invite them. Each one of these action steps can bring anxiety to us. It can worry us. But remember God's faithfulness and then choose to trust in him. Because when we trust in him, then we're able to move, just like Mary, from anxiety to acceptance and then acceptance to adoration. And then we too can sing a song of praise, just like Mary did. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the good news of Christmas, the good news of your love that sent your only son into this world to bring us back into a relationship with you. God, help us to take the time this Christmas season to stop and to remember your faithfulness in the past and to stop and recognize your faithfulness in the present. God, help us not to miss how you're moving in our lives and how you are moving in the world. And then God, help us to have the faith and the courage to take a step forward to answer your call, to actually do something. God, help every one of us to take that step of faith, to trust you more, so that we, just like Mary, can take that journey from anxiety to adoration. God, help us to be a church that trusts you more and more and help us to shine our light brightly into the darkness of this world. God, we trust all of these prayers to your care in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.